Hey, I'm Jesse. We're testing out a new space for kind of a new show we're going to start in addition to our devotions. So give us some time. We're experimenting with some stuff. Be praying for us as well. We're going to try to launch something that addresses current events. For today's devotion, number 617, we're in Isaiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. This passage is going to contain some pretty gut-wrenching content. And so I want to set the context from the, from the onset. Because of enemy nations, because of evil armies that will attack fleeing refugees, even children will not be spared. This passage has been used by atheistic critics to say God is the one who is actually killing children when in fact it is evil nations. And it's been prophesied ahead of time in the book of Isaiah. They were forewarned. Uh, this was foretold. It is not God who is killing children. It is God telling them this is going to happen. All right, this is the book of Isaiah. It's a prophecy book. It foretells what is to come. And the whole point of prophecy was to either predict and affirm, then you would know that he alone is the Lord God because he predicted it would happen. It is to repent. Okay, think about Jonah's ministry going to the city of Nineveh. Uh, and then furthermore, it adds to the condemnation of the condemned when they were foretold exactly what would happen, but it plays out that way anyway, and there's no repentance. So here is Isaiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and wicked people for their iniquities. I will put an end to the pride of the arrogant and humiliate the insolence of tyrants. God's heart is against evil, prideful rulers. There are consequences, especially in societies like ours, where we elect our leaders. Elections have consequences, as it said. Verse 12, I will make a human more scarce than fine gold, and mankind more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its foundations at the wrath of the Lord of armies on the day of his burning anger. You may have noticed that the Lord of armies title is coming up more and more frequently. We saw it in our passage that our curriculum studied this past week. We've seen it in sermons. We saw it in Isaiah 6, the Lord of armies. The militant capacity of God is on full display, and in this weekend's sermon, we're going to see more of this, okay? And with good reason, the Lord has an army because He fights against evil and wins. Do not ascribe to the Lord what is evil, especially in His own text. Rather, hear the opening, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked people for their iniquities. The iniquity is carried out by evil people. God is judging them. That's the point of this text. Verse 14, like the wandering gazelles and like sheep without a shepherd, each one will turn to his own people and each one will flee to his own land. So in this, there's destruction coming. The city that, has, that, uh, that will be destroyed, its inhabitants will flee. Evidently, the population of the city that's being destroyed is very diverse, and people are going back to their lands of origin. But in route, they are vulnerable to attack from lions. They are vulnerable to attack from street gangs, from evil armies. And that's, what, that's what, exactly what takes place. 
like gazelle, wandering gazelles and sheep without a shepherd. Where have you heard that before? This is how Jesus saw Jerusalem. Each one will turn to his own people. Each one will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be stabbed and whoever is caught will die by the sword. Their children will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives raped. Isaiah 13, 16 is one of the most gut-wrenching verses in the entire Bible. This is carried out by wicked people. When the city is destroyed, the refugees are vulnerable. As they flee, they're attacked, and the worst imaginable thing that could possibly happen, happens. Look, I am stirring up the Medes against them. This is verse 17. Who cannot be bought off with silver and who have no desire for gold. All right, so this attacking armor, uh, army is, is described as the Medes. You may know them as, uh, as the uh, part of the Medo-Persian Empire, which actually conquered Babylon. The Medes were uh, notorious, uh, notoriously violent, and they, you know, they couldn't be bought. It's not like you could bribe the person attacking you uh, to, to purchase the life uh, of, of your child, the safety of your wife. These people were... They, they, they could not be placated. Their, their thirst was for blood. So God says, I'm stirring up the Medes against them who cannot be bought off with silver and who have no desire for gold. Notice here that, the, that God is owning what he does. He's not trying to, he's not p- placing the full responsibility on the Medes. In fact, it says that he is actually stirring up the Medes. God is leaving the Medes to their own devices, doing what they do, and in fact, stirring them up to do more of it here. The Medes were bent on this. They were notorious for this. They left in their wake a massive amount of blood. And now God, in his sovereignty, is stirring this up as instruments of his wrath. Their bows will cut young men to pieces. They will have no compassion on offspring. They will not look with pity on children. That is the demarcation of true depravity. When you no longer have any any respect for the lives of children in modern day entertainment, we're moving this dark direction. For the full history of Hollywood, it seemed, with very few exceptions, Children didn't die in movies, and if they did die, you didn't witness it taking place. Uh, if, if the unspeakable, the unthinkable happened, it happened off camera. The camera panned away. Okay, for example, one of the Star Wars movies, I think it's episode three, it's where uh, Anakin is becoming Darth Vader, like this ultimate bad guy, and sort of what really seals his turning to the dark side is that he kills younglings, these, these young little children. That's where it seems like it's an, uh, they, they, there's no turning back at that point. He's crossed the threshold. More and more in modern movies, we're seeing children suffer on screen. Uh, this, is, this is part of our depravity. It's not new. Evidently, I mean, here's even an example that is almost 3,000 years old of the Medes who had no compassion on children. They had no regard for the sanctity of the, of the lives of, of, of children. Verse 19, and Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the glory of the pride of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. This was unthinkable. Uh, Babylon would get its its tail kicked, uh, but they were the object of God's warring activity. They're described as this jewel of the kingdoms in verse 19. 
and uh, they seemed utterly inconquerable, but the, uh, uh, they, they were going to go down like Sodom and Gomorrah. We discovered the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah, what few there are, and man, it does look exactly like they were attacked with fire from on high. When we discovered the ruins of Jericho, sure enough, you know, the walls fell from the inside out. When God's word describes the ruin of a city or a people, the wiping out of a nation, uh, it stands to reason that there would be little to no evidence of them in the archaeological record until we uncover it. For like most of modern history, these were actually points of ridicule against the, the credibility of scripture. The Bible names the Hittites. Where are the Hittites? There's no record of the Hittites anywhere. The, the Bible just made up an entire people, an entire society, an entire culture and language and army and government and currency. And, and like there's no evidence of them anywhere. See, the Bible's not historically reliable. One award-winning skeptic actually set out to disprove the events of the book of Acts. He ended up discovering the Hittites and became a Christian along the way. So Sodom and Gomorrah obviously took a long time to find. This was absolute ruin. And this is another example of God repeatedly saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. What makes Sodom and Gomorrah unique is we also see the interchange between Abraham and God. It's a fascinating study in the efficacious nature of prayer and how God in his sovereignty uses prayer. God was speaking with Abraham and Abraham was pleading for the sake of the remnant. That's a word you've seen multiple times in recent passages we're going through in Isaiah. For the sake of a remnant, God, would you spare them? If they're just a few Christians, would you not pour out your wrath? And for a, an incrementally shrinking remnant, God would delay pouring out wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah and delay and delay and delay. But the longer God delayed, the more depraved it became and the more its wickedness would spread. And so God does eventually send angels in there's an incident there that I won't get into now because I've already taught about it in Genesis 18 and 19. Then Lot and his family get out of town. Uh, God sends destruction uh, upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lot's wife actually looks back to return longingly to Sodom and Gomorrah. And she is turned to a pillar of salt. There's a deep symbology there. I don't want to get into that, but I do want to talk about the fact that Sodom and Gomorrah is used as an archetype in Romans 1 and right here to show what God's going to do to Babylon. That was unthinkable at the time. It was referred to as the jewel, but it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 20, it will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. A nomad will not pitch his tent there and shepherds will not let their flocks rest there, but desert creatures will lie down there and owls will fill the houses. Ostriches will dwell there and wild goats will leap about. Uh, this is remarkable. In Leviticus 11 verses 15 and 16, owls are considered ceremonially unclean. So it just adds to the spiritual decimation of Babylon that's being prophesied right here in the text. Verse 22, hyenas will howl in the fortresses and jackals in the luxurious palaces. Babylon's time is almost up. Her days are almost over. So this was a shocking prophecy because it seemed unthinkable that Babylon would fall like this. It seemed unthinkable that these opulent palatial apartments would one day become the homes for hyenas and jackals. That's total ruin right there. 
The internet loves a good video from the exploration of a ruined place. All right, uh, one day I'll tell you the story of River Country, the water park uh, that was put out by, uh, that, that was built and still owned today by Walt Disney World. Uh, it was abandoned because of a flesh-eating bacteria, like a brain-eating bacteria that was discovered in the water uh, that fed the park. It was not chlorinated water. It was just like wild water brought in. And so they had to shut it down and they had to shut it down like that. And somebody actually went out, swam across the lagoon, timing the passages of the ferry boats so that he could get there undetected, filmed his exploration of it, and then waited five years, which is Florida, uh, Florida state law, uh, the statute of limitations for trespassing. And then he posted the footage on the internet. Everybody loves the good story of like ruins. And what's shocking is to see water slides overgrown, to see inner tubes strewn about, picnic tables where families used to sit down in their swimsuits and enjoy a quick burger before hitting the wave pool is now just covered in filth. And there are wild creatures crawling across it because humanity's long gone. Um, that is a paltry comparison to what God is going to do to Babylon. And it was, it was scoffed at. This original prophecy and its original recipient, uh, the, the original excuse me, the original uh, reception for this prophecy was to scoff in incredulity. That's absolutely impossible. Know this, that no nation, no matter how powerful, is beyond the wrath of God to bring it to destruction. This has been the case for thousands of years. As Americans, we're, we're citizens of one of the youngest countries in the world, and so our memory is very short. Our oldest artifact is not even 300 years old, if it's truly an American artifact. It's older than that, it's actually a European artifact. So we don't have a very long memory. We can't think back that far. The founding fathers seem like eons ago, but in the full history of humanity, it was like five minutes ago. For thousands of years, God has been doing this. The justice systems of the nations of the earth will all one day answer to the ultimate justice that God brings. We ought never be so haughty and arrogant to think that we are beyond such wrath and judgment from God. Moreover, we ought never be so intimidated by an enemy nation that we are to think that they are invincible. God said this about Babylon and he did it. Where are the Medes today really? The Medo-Persians seemed to be this massive dominating force. The Assyrians seemed to be this massive dominating force. Egypt was once arguably like the, a world power. Today, its gross domestic product is in the absolute trash can. And their former slaves, the Israelites, have one of the highest GDPs in the world, especially for a, a country of such a small size. God is the one who orchestrates history in this regard. God is the one who brings rulers to their knees. You'll notice that in a more liberal society like ours, in a more liberal culture like the area of Seattle, and particularly in the state of Washington, we really revere our government as a largely godless people. Government seems to occupy that role for those who don't have faith in God. They almost deify the government. And so when the government gives us edicts, like you have to wear masks and stay six feet apart, and if you don't do it, right, there are gonna be consequences. Uh, they revere that like it's from on high because in their context, it seems like it is. If there's nothing higher than the government, the government's your God. But if your faith is in government, your faith is in something that God can squash like a bug anytime he wants. You're worshiping a very puny 
God as opposed to the one who establishes governments and who can even use evil governments, evil armies as it were, not to speak disparagingly of every single soldier and every single army, but God can use even their tendencies and their devices to bring about ultimate justice according to his orchestration of his story over which he is the author. See to it that we view government in its proper place. Let not government be your God. Governments all answer to God. Be, in accordance with Romans 13, the perfect citizen, okay? Abide by laws, except for speed limits, maybe. <laughs> and pay your taxes, you know, be financially healthy. But understand this, that you're doing so because God has asked us to, and that government answers to God.